Acts chapter 1, and we'll read from verse 1 through to verse 11. This is God's word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while, straying, oh, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, this um, passage is sort of our anniversary passage. So every, every year when our sort of church birthday anniversary rolls around, we always revisit this text. And it's a good reminder for the church about what the church is here to do in the world. Why are we here as West Church? What is West Church to do? What is our job? How do we do it? What is our purpose here in the middle of Newland? And that's the question that we like to revisit every year. Um, and, and I think it's an important question, and it's, it's right that we consider it this morning. I'm so happy that this church is here. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I'm, so thankful to God for this church. And um, we all ought to be so thankful to God for West Church. Um, perhaps some of you found West Church and it's the first church you've been to, but I, I, I've been to a, a few churches beforehand. Um, the Lord saved me when I was about 16. And so for about half my life, I, I wandered through. Um, from church to church, spent a few years at, at, a, at a particular church. Um, but let me tell you, West Church is rare. This church is very, very special. Um, it is a place where the gospel is held right at the center. All the preaching is grounded in the gospel. And we ought to be so thankful that it is. And we want that to happen until the Lord comes back. We want that to be the case until he returns. So as we consider this passage, I've got nothing very fancy for you this morning, but I've got three points uh, I hope are very simple and easy to follow. The first one is, well, they've all got to do with what Jesus has given us. And by us, I mean his witnesses. He's given us a task. That's number one. He's given us the power to perform that task. That's number two. And number three is he's given us the motivation for the task. 
And I think that's what we'll spend most of our time on this morning. So number one, he's given us the task. Number two, he's given us the power to perform that task. And number three, he's given us the motivation. The task. So look at verse eight with me. It says there, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. The task here is a task of a witness. So Jesus is saying, disciples, people who follow me, your task is to be my witness in all of the world. That's the task. Now, before we go on talking about the task, let's just talk a little bit about the person who is a witness. Um, here is a definition for a witness. And this sort of sums up my whole sermon. I could probably sit down after I say this sentence, but I'll keep going anyway. This is the sentence. A witness is a worshiper of Jesus who longs to see and who works towards seeing the worship of Jesus in the lives of others, empowered by the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God. So that's my sermon all wrapped up into one sentence there. So a witness is a worshiper. And I say that because a person who calls himself a witness and is not a worshiper is not a witness. They're an imposter. It's a false witness. And we see this in, in court, right? Um, when, whenever someone is on the dock and you're asking them questions, a lawyer may be asking them a series of questions. Were you there on this night? No, I wasn't there. Do you know any of the people involved? No, I don't know anyone involved. Um, do you know what this is all about? No, I don't know what this is all about. Then why are you here? You're not a witness. And um, I remember thinking about this one day when I went to the moor. And you know, in the moor, sometimes people hire out a little section of the moor and then they've got little like tables set up and then they've got banners and posters and stuff. And then they say, hey, how's it going? They stop you while you're walking past. I'm sure everyone knows what that's like. And they, they drag you in and then you start talking to them. Well, I got dragged into a conversation once and I was talking to this person. And um, they were so involved in, in what they were presenting. I thought, you know, this person really likes what they're doing. Until I saw them at another mall under a different banner, promoting a whole different agenda. And I thought, I thought you were a witness to that thing. But now you're witnessing to this thing. And after a bit of conversation with this person who I recognized, I found out that they were hired by an agency to just go in and push certain things at certain venues and they get paid to just do these things, right? This person is not a true witness of the cause that they were going out to present. This person just goes out and presents the thing, but they don't know for themselves what it is like to be a part of that thing. They're just a hired person who comes to promote something. A witness is not a promoter. A witness is not a person who is hired, who, who comes along and just pushes something pushes an agenda and, and just presents and um, promotes. That's not what a witness is. A witness has to first be a worshiper. And we see that as well when, do you remember when the Lord called um, the first four disciples, those brothers in the boats, and he said, come and follow me. I'll make, I'll make you to be fishers of men. And you see that before they could ever become fishers of men, they first had to follow Christ. So a witness has to first be a worshiper. And that's question number one. Are you a worshiper? 
are you a witness? You can't say you are a witness unless you are first a worshiper. So the task um, involves who? The worshiper. When do they do this task? When are you to witness? 24-7. You, you see there in verse 8 when Jesus says to his disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and, and you will be my witnesses. Whether you like it or not, if you're a worshiper of Jesus, you are a witness to Jesus at all times, in every place. And we see Jesus highlight this, remember in Matthew 5 and verse 16, he's talking to his disciples and he says to them, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. So in everything that you do, you are a witness. This task is to be done at all times. This is who you are as an, as an identity. So you may work in construction. You're not a construction worker. You're a witness who does construction. You may be a doctor, but you're not a doctor. You're a witness who does the work of a doctor. So what comes first in everything that you do in life is that you are a witness to Christ. At home with your kids, you are a witness who is a mother. You are a witness who is a husband. You are a witness who is a wife. And we are witnesses in everything that we do those good works that we talked about in Matthew, but in also everything that we say. We are a witness. So when are we doing those things? All the time. Anytime someone's eyes are on us, we are a witness. At your workplace, the, the high quality that you work to because your real boss is Jesus, you are witnessing to the fact that he is good, that he is your master. And so who's a witness? The worshiper. When do they witness? At all times. And just to clarify, um, sometimes when we think about witness, we often think about evangelist. And you remember in Ephesians 4, evangelist is, is a special office that was given to the church. And I'm not saying every single one of you has to be the evangelist with a capital E. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you have to give up your job and then be a witness full-time, be a, sorry, evangelist full-time, but you are to be a witness full-time the way that you conduct yourself, the way that you speak, and the message that you know that you have to bring is all to do with you being a witness. So that's um, when you do the task. That's who does the task. And let's talk about how we do the task. Um, the second point, he gives us the power to perform the task. And this is really important again in verse 8, which is where we're going to spend most of our time. Look at what he says at the start. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In other words, no Holy Spirit, no power. So you will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The only way to effectively be a witness for Christ is that you be empowered by the Holy Spirit. If there is no Holy Spirit, there is no power and no effective witness. And um, that's terribly important to understand. And we have to constantly wrestle with this when we preach on a Sunday morning. And sometimes you can walk away from the microphone and think, man, I, I hit all of my points perfectly. And I, I, did, I said everything that I wanted to say. And then you think, I'm sure there's going to be something, you know, good come of it. And falls flat, hits no one's ears. 
And then there are those times where you think, I just did terribly. You know, I forgot what I was trying to say. I didn't quite hit the mark on some of the points that I prepared beforehand. And then all of a sudden, it makes an effect on someone. Why is that? It's because the power is held in the Holy Spirit, not in the person. It's, um, you, you must remember that. The power is not in your eloquence to present the gospel or, or in how clever you are and how smart you are, but it is in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in that way, any person here who is a Christian, we can say you are here because of the power of the Holy Spirit. You are brought here because Jesus equipped the church with a task and the power to perform that task. So those are the two sort of shorter points, but here's where I wanted to um, hopefully grab your attention the most. He gives us a task. He gives us the power to do that task. But this is what I want you to walk away thinking about when you go to bed tonight. And if there's something that keeps you awake, awake tonight, I'm, I'm hoping it's this thing. He gives us the motivation for the task. And let me show you why I think that. Again in verse 8, after he says, um, the, when the Holy Spirit comes, the, the, the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. The, the word I want you to focus on there is my. It says, you will be my witnesses. Whatever you're a witness to is the thing that you are trying to bring attention to. When I, when I met this young lady who was at these tables, she was trying to bring my attention, not to her, but to what she was trying to witness to. She was trying to promote something and she was bringing my attention to that thing. And when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, what he's saying is, you're not going out there to peddle your message. You're not going out there to draw attention to yourself. You're going to be my witnesses. I am the one who will receive the attention. I am the one whose eyes, people's eyes should be looking to. They should be looking past you and looking to the thing that you are witnessing to. And so Jesus is saying, when he says, my witnesses, he's saying, I am the one worthy of all this attention. I am the one who deserves all of this attention. And this is to be our great motivation for witness. There are many things we ought to have compassion we ought to look upon them and, and think, man, if this person must be saved. And that is a, a noble thing and a wonderful thing. But here is something greater. Why is God not famous in the heart of this person? Why is God not lifted up in the life of my brother or my sister? Well, it, it, it disturbs me that God is not glorified here. And I wonder, are you disturbed? When you look at a non-believer, are you made uneasy? Are you unsettled by the fact that worship does not exist there? Does that bother you that God is not lifted up where he ought to be lifted up? Jesus gives us our motivation. He says, you will be my witnesses. And that is a better motivation than any other motivation that we could think of. God's glory is the reason he does everything. And, and the kids would know this. You ask them the, the third question in the catechism. Um, why did God make you and everything else? 
for his own glory. We see it everywhere. Look at Ephesians. And Ephesians tells us in chapter 1 that he saves people, he chooses people, he adopts people to the praise of his glorious grace. It is for his glory's sake that he does all of these things. And that should be our motivation. Does it disturb you that that's not true in people's lives out there? Does it bother you that that's not true in your mom or your dad or your workmate, your colleague, your children? Do you long to see God lifted up because he deserves to be lifted up? And I thought just to help us reflect on how glorious he is, we might just keep looking at some points in this passage. Look down at verse 11. We're talking about Jesus, but who is Jesus? The angels tell them, this Jesus, they're specifying who they're talking about. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Go back to verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Let me just point out some of the things that we see in those two verses, verse 3 and verse 11. Look at verse 3 quickly. Look at that word suffering. Now, this is pointing to his ultimate suffering, which was on the cross. And let's talk about the cross just quickly. If you want a display of all of God's wonderful attributes, if you want to see how wonderful and big and magnificent and glorious God is, look at the cross. You see his infinite holiness that not even his own son could get away from justice because he took on the sins of humanity. Do you see how holy he is? And that he would not let a single thought escape his judgment, a single word or a single deed. Nothing escapes his judgment because he is absolutely holy and righteous. The cross had to happen. He is so infinitely holy that when you look at the cross and you see the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who suffered this death that is mentioned in in this passage, you see that the darling of heaven, the Lord of glory, was lifted up on a cross because of how holy God is. God will not move from his holiness. God will not give up his holiness. He's not going to bend his holiness so that you can get away with something. Every sin is dealt with, and you see that there at the cross. He's so holy. What else do we see at the cross? Well, because Jesus was there, we see how merciful he is. He's so merciful that he sends his only son, that he loves, and he didn't need to send him, but he sent him because he loves the world. Do you see how merciful he is? And all of that's there at the cross. Many other things there at the cross, but let's look at the start of that verse 3. He presented himself to them alive. Not only does Jesus go and show us the holiness of God and show us the merciful, um, gracious nature of God, but he also shows us about his perfection. He was crucified. He died. And he defeated death. Look at that power. Because he was perfect. His sacrifice, his presentation of himself as a sacrifice to God was acceptable to God. And he defeated death and was risen. So you see there how wonderful Jesus is. Could you imagine being a witness to someone else? Could you imagine being a witness to someone who died and stayed dead? 
Could you imagine being a witness to someone who sinned and wasn't actually a good sacrifice for the Lord? How pathetic would that be? If we were to go to our neighbor and say, hey, we have this Jesus who died and he sort of stayed dead. Come and trust in him. And maybe, maybe by some off chance, you might be accepted by God. There's no hope. There's no assurance. There's no certainty. But when Jesus says here in verse 8, but you will receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses, there is such certainty there. Because of the witness, um, the, the person who we are witnessing about. And then if you look down at verse 11, which I mentioned earlier, Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead. This is the one to whom every single knee will bow and every tongue confess. This is the king of the universe. This is the one who is unmatched, who has no rival. So when we look at this passage and we consider verse 8, it says, you will be my witnesses. Do you see how much he deserves to be the one who we witness about? No one else is worthy of our witness, but Jesus is. And he's worthy of our witness 24-7. In every walk of life, in every area of our lives, he's worthy of our witness. Now, I hope you see um, how important that last point is. Um, I remember a, a little quote from John Piper. It's probably my favorite quote from him. He, he writes in a book, um, mission exists because worship does not exist. Now, when you see someone who is not worshiping, do you long to see Jesus lifted up in their lives? Or you should long to see them saved. That's for certain. You should have a heart broken for them, that they are on a path for destruction. But do you long to see what God deserves? Do you long to see what God um, rightly should receive from that person? Do you want them to glorify God? Do you long to see God lifted up and glorified? That's the great motivation of the church. That's why we're still here, for his glory. So the question is, um, are you a witness? And what I mean by that is, are you a worshiper of Jesus who longs to see and who is working towards the worship of Jesus and the lives of others, empowered by the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God? Think about that question. Does the glory of God matter to you enough for you to be a witness? Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful that we have the Lord Jesus Christ to witness about and to give witness to. And Lord, we're so thankful that we have such a wonderful, magnificent um, Lord to talk about and to present to people. We're so thankful that our Lord is the Lord who died for sinners and whose sacrifice was acceptable and who was risen again. We thank you that our King is now at the right hand ascended and lord we thank you that one day our king will return lord let us know the seriousness 
of that verse that one day he will return. And we don't know when, we don't know the time or the season, but he will return. Lord, help us to be so concerned for the glory of God that we couldn't help but worship you by witnessing. Lord, would you make witnessing and evangelism and mission easy for us because we're so in love with the Lord that we couldn't help but talk about him. Lord, as we consider those around us and in our lives, yes, Lord, give us compassion for them. But Lord, give us a zeal for your glory in their lives. Give us a zeal for them to worship you with all their heart. And Lord, for anyone here who has yet to know the glorious grace in Jesus Christ, Lord, bring them to you so that they might taste and see that the Lord is good, and that they might worship you forever. Help West Church, Lord, protect us uh, from any diversions and protect us from wandering and keep us, Lord, focused on what you have left for us to do, to be witnesses in all the world, empowered by the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.